Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Anna Horford, and you're listening to the Celtics Life Podcast. Hello and welcome into the Celtics Life Podcast. It is the playoffs. The seas are off to a great start. We're here to break it down along with all the other Celtics news going on from Gordon Hayward's recovery process to the chances that we'll see Marcus Smart this series and obviously look at the games so far. I'm Topher Lane here with Justin Quinn. Hey Justin, what's your uh, favorite moment from the playoffs been so far? Not even just in the Celtics, just overall. Oh man. Probably, see, I don't know if this would count as favorite moment exactly, but most most revelatory moment, at least so far. Uh, I was watching the beginning of the second Pacers-Cavs series, and... Pacers versus LeBron. <laughs> basically, exa- that's exactly why this was, this one stands out the most to me. I was... I'm not going to be ashamed to admit watching to see if maybe this would, you know, be the death knell. Not that, you know, I already kind of think he's on his way out anyway. We won't get to that. But I, I was, you know, kind of schadenfreude watching, uh, expecting kind of a repeat performance where, you know, they, they lost by like, I think, 18 points less the first game of the series. Yep. And 16 straight points, I think it was, uh, was scored by LeBron. And I just turned the game off. Yeah, just to like kick off the game just from the tip, score 16 straight. That's pretty legit. Yep. So that's your least favorite moment? Where, where does that fall in your I don't, I don't know. Like, okay, so if we're going to if we're going to talk about uh, most favorite moment, like something that I actually enjoyed, I would have said the the last second three pointer that Terry Rozier hit in Game One of the Bucks series, but then Middleton hit one with point five seconds left after. I don't even know how he did that. It's really hard. I mean, like in terms of this is such a cop-out, but I, I really can't narrow it down just the fact that we're up 2-0 against the Bucks. That is probably my overall favorite moment, if you can even call it one, just because I really expected the best we'd be doing at this point was a split series. I'm digging Rondo and his almost triple-double, like playoff Rondo emerging again for the Pelicans and bringing the, the Pelicans to a 2-0 lead over the, the Trailblazers. I'm digging that. That's not like a moment specifically, but you know his game in game two was was pretty instrumental to them winning that game. Obviously, Anthony Davis is the the center of it, but you know you got Rondo who's, who's helping kind of lead that charge. So I, I like that a lot, and also, uh, I you know I agree it's tough to narrow something down, but it's been I, a really I, exciting series. Like all the first round series games have been yeah. really compelling. Similarly, Dwayne Wade also. Because obviously the Sixers are going to be probably our, our matchup in the second round. And I like the fact that Dwayne Wade kind of willed game two to the heat. So that, that was that was something I appreciated as well. I think they made a mistake trading him back to the heat, the Cavs that is. Yeah, I think so too. Because it would really help to have him as a presence on this, this Cavaliers team, this young Cavaliers team. I think he'd be a really good mentor for like 
Nance and and all those guys, Clarkson, I think he'd be really even just not if he's getting a ton of minutes. But I understand that they want to do him a solid and send him back to Miami. But you know, not that he was going to be like a huge presence on the court, but maybe he just you know really guides the, the younger guys in a way that LeBron can't. He's still capable of, of turning in games like he did the other night too. So yeah, for sure. And I I really want that series to go to like seven. You know, I think that'd be really. I don't think it will. I think that's realistically a six game series at most but i would like it to go to seven just because we'll be playing the uh winner of that game or that series i should say and i would rather that all of them are run down and kind of exhausted but oh, for sure do you okay let's let's break down the the celtic series then let's narrow this down to our team okay two nothing against the bucks did you expect the celtics to be at this point right now i mean yeah three months ago well, sure, yeah, but I walked into the playoffs <laughs> a week ago. Did you expect this Celtics team that's hobbling in, literally hobbling in? No, I thought we were going to beat them, but I really thought we were going to split the home series, split the away series, and, and go right down to the wire. And it's looking like we might actually be able to sweep them if they don't win the next game uh, coming up. It's probably going to be a pretty rough situation for them to to be able to even win another game. I, I mean, does the momentum change in Milwaukee? Obviously not not enough to just suddenly turn around a, a sweep necessarily, but does it change enough in in uh, I don't remember what the stadium they play in is called, but does it does it turn around hard enough in Milwaukee that they're able to pull at least one out at home? I think they should be able to. I think it's going to be the next one. I mean, the home crowd is going to be into it. If what's his name, Drew Breadstick. <laughs> whatever that guy, whatever that guy is, who forgot Terry, who Terry Rozier is, uh, if he doesn't, Eric Bledsoe, for those of you who don't get the meme, uh, if he doesn't show up and, and really turn in an effort of his career after the crap that he talked or didn't talk, I should say, uh, after Rozier roasted him two games in a row, well, he's basically going to dig his own NBA grave. And the other possibility, if he comes out the gate flat, uh, there's been a lot of chatter about switching Bledsoe out for Malcolm Brogdon, which personally I think makes a lot of sense, but yeah. I really hope the coach who now I know the name of, Joe Prunty, just because he's that <laughs> No offense, Mr. Prunty, if you're listening, I doubt you are, but if you are, you got to work on your rotations. you got to work on your schematics. I hope he is. I hope he is listening to try and get like an inside scouting, yeah, like to try and figure out like what the hell do I have to do to beat these guys? <laughs> like what? What is the answer? Because he can't, I mean, so I, I think we've got something up on the site about the comparison of the backcourts, which is just, it, it is the most one-sided comparison you can look at. It's almost twice as, twice as many points, it's, it's, twice as many assists. It's really disgusting. It's, it's just, it's, it's awful. It's, it's a bloodbath between the backcourts. And Terry Rozier is walking all over everybody. Jalen Brown is walking all over everybody. It, it, there's nobody who can stop him for whatever reason. And... That's Jalen put up. He's put up fifty points in two games. He's been that's destroying. The most surprising thing. He's destroying. It's it's not even there. And then obviously Terry is is putting up almost as much. He's at forty six points in two games. It's just the backcourt is just destroying the Bucks right now. And then the the front court cleans it up because Horford has been destroyed even on rebounds. Horford's been cleaning up the glass. Aggressive lately too. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's something Stevens had said that he wants to make sure that this team is running throughout. That we'll see a lot of point guard Al during this series and that's just making it's an additional spot in the backcourt and it's it's really it's 
been doing wonders against this Bucks team. To the point where I think the keep is realistic. Shane Larkin, everybody's been stepping up. And it's really awesome to see. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any complaints so far. I think that the the most surprising thing for me is that the the young guys have been fairly consistent. I mean, the worst thing that we've seen so far out of any of the younger guys so far is Jason Tatum having an off shooting night, and he still managed there. To there be have been a lot, there have been a lot of turnovers, and and especially when the Bucks because we we started first quarters very strong. Not for Terry Rozier. Not for Terry Rozier, but the second even Larkin has had difficulty with turnovers. Larkin had a lot of difficulty, yeah. And and that's given the Bucks the chance to claw back into the game. It's made the games a lot closer because turnovers have really hurt the Celtics. But they've been they've been almost twice as bad as we have so far in this series at this point. Yep. I think it's something like sixty forty split in turnovers now, if not higher. Yep. Yeah, no, it's it it's true, but it's that has been I would say that's my complaint, is is our inability to protect the ball. During the second quarter, for whatever reason, the first quarter we we have been really really tight on our on our passes on just our, our rotations things like that, and we've avoided turnovers for the most part. But then the second quarter rolls around, the second twelve minutes for whatever reason. I mean, I think I know what the reason is. It's the reason is that it's our second unit, which is really our third unit. Partially, I mean, they they come in during the the second quarter around like the four minute mark, or the first quarter around the four minute mark. And so you should idea, theoretically see it then. But it honestly, it, we hadn't had any issues in both games in the first quarter with turnovers. And then the third quarter, again, we kind of tighten up again. It's, it's strange. It's only the, the second frame of each half. It's like they forget to, how to protect the ball or, or how to pass it well. And for some reason, the Bucks step up in the passing lanes. And Yeah, in game two, it was, it was pretty... Pretty awful to watch in, in the second quarter. Yeah, exactly. Same with game one. I was honestly worried because I, I had it on while I was at work, and I was really concerned because they were they we were up I think sixteen points, and they surged back to take the lead in the second quarter because of just awful passing. Yeah. Just and and just it wasn't even smart. It was like just trying to do drop off passes. They just find their way in the middle of break it up and then a fast break bucket. That's how Giannis got started in this second quarter because he was having a really tough time. Well, I mean. Their their length is is a really potent force. You know, Bledsoe has been really good at creating steals this season, but for whatever reason, and maybe it's the coaching change, maybe it's just lack of playoff experience. I, I'm not really sure, but they they have not been able to to keep up the the level of steals that they had earlier in the season. And I think if they had an actually competent coach, they they could be a very deadly team. Do you think if they had stuck with Jason Kidd that they would be doing better right now? I don't know, because I don't know if Giannis would still have a knee. So he was playing his players way too many minutes, and his, his, his rotations were very arbitrary. You know, I, I really I couldn't discern any kind of a pattern in his coaching. I don't know really what he was ever trying to do. You know, I, I didn't watch the Bucks much more than a couple of games besides what we played with them, but from what I saw, Jason Kidd is really only a little bit better than Prunty, and Prunty is only coaching them because they don't feel like paying a third person. Yeah. I mean, it may, they'll, they'll definitely be on the, on the search this offseason, but, it, you know, it's, it's just I wonder hypothetically if we, if we would be having more of a challenge with Jason Kidd as a coach. I mean, obviously... I think a little bit. 
maybe it's entire obviously entirely hypothetical and i question whether we'd have any more success but i mean did they get swept last year by the raptors they got swept. They got swept by somebody. I'm pretty sure. If not a sweep, a gentleman sweep. But yeah, they. they yeah, they may have taken one game, but I, I, I know it wasn't that competitive a series, in spite of the fact that it was slated as probably one of the most competitive, and then it turned into a pretty one-sided affair with Toronto kind of walking through them. But yeah, I, I, I was never that high on Jason Kidd as a coach. I just saw that Sports Illustrated cover when he got hired by the Nets, and we made the trade, and it was like, who wants a piece of this? And it's the starting lineup: KG, Paul. Uh, Darren Williams. Who else was on that cover? The other Lopez brother, not Robin. Brooke. Brooke Lopez. Yep. And then I think Joe yes, Johnson as the as fifth. What a lineup! Yep. yep. Wow. Now I do remember. Yeah. The cover. Yep. <laughs> okay, standing cool. What a lineup! Oh boy. So that was that. I just remember who wants a piece of this. And I, was, I always thought Jason Kidd was not going to be a good coach. I was never that high on him. Meanwhile, my friend who's a Bucks fan still talks. He's like, I can't believe they fired Kidd. He's really upset about it. So that's why I ask because it's you know. I think a lot of Bucks fans are convinced that they would have been doing a little bit better because they, they fell to a seven seed when they were up in the, the top four, I think, at one point this season before they fired Kid. Yeah, I mean, Kid is, you know, a lower third of the NBA coach. He's not terrible. Really? I, I, put him, I put him in the middle, maybe, maybe low middle, so like 18, 19. I mean, it could also just be... You know, I mean, they, they're very easy to defend against team, and he's not very creative with his rotation. So maybe the combination of the two things is making me slander a little bit more than I should. But, I mean, even now, you know, with Parker being kind of not exactly, you know, earth-shaking in terms of what he's contributing to the team, they really only have two options on offense, and one of them can only score consistently inside, and the other only seems to be a threat outside so game planning for them is super freaking well, but easy. if they get rolling from three they're a dangerous team i mean chris middleton can be a really nasty sharpshooter and then you know you have to start doubling him and then that can open up rogden can open up Giannis if he's feeling it from deep although he hasn't this series you know they've got a lot of options from three that they haven't really been utilizing but in part i think it's because Snell, of the good defense yep, Snell, Snell yeah. can be effective but I think part of it has just been it's, it hasn't been bouncing their way, and I think part of it is good defense, but I think also it's it's just that it has been unfortunate luck for guys like Middleton who's just been kind of struggling. But even then, he's still doing the best of anybody on the team. I don't know. I mean, I saw Aaron Baines defending him pretty well, and I mean, like Aaron, he's not a slouch, but his feet are almost as slow as mine are. Do you say that he's a bad defender because of that? I'm not going to say he's a bad defender. He's actually a very good defender. He's he's one of the league's he's better a good big rim defenders. protector. Yeah, but that doesn't that doesn't take a lot of lateral quickness. You know, that's that's like that's understanding the switch. He's an yeah, up and down yeah. kind of guy. In fact, he's an amazingly good up and down kind of a guy. But his feet, he's just not he's not the kind of guy to defend anybody with any kind of lateral quickness, particularly somebody like Giannis. Well, but that's where the zone and stuff that, that Stevens has been utilizing and, and the way that he structures the defense. Exactly. But that 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 works against arguably anybody. I mean that that's how the Celtics pulled off that winning at the Jazz in Utah three or so weeks ago. You know. Yeah, but I brought that up specifically because of when you're talking about people collapsing onto Middleton. Baines was there, able to guard him with a little bit of help. So. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I, I am saying that the Celtics, at least so far, have been able to use the zone and to use uh, switching defenses to to cover up 
their their scoring ability, at least to date. Whether that remains to be the case, particularly if they involve someone like Malcolm Brogdon, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. How? What do you think the keys to these wins have been? What, what do you think has made this possible for us to be up to nothing? I mean, realistically, defense would have kept us in both games and the Celtics got hot in the last game, you know, on offense. It was one of their best offensive performances of the entire season. Also, the shot selection of the Bucks has been another major factor, too, because despite shooting, I think it was 60% in the last game they played against us, they got blown out of the water because almost all of those were two-pointers. Mm-hmm. They also weren't passing or shooting very much. Well, but at the same rate, we're also able to keep Giannis in check because we're forcing him to shoot. Yeah, I mean, he has his drives because he's just a freak of nature as far as his athleticism goes, but it, we've the Celtics' defense has been very successful in holding him back and forcing him to, to take a jumper rather than get to the rim. We also kind of have, I don't want to say depth, but a variety. Like, you don't know who to game plan against, at least so far, just because Jalen has only has been, like, the primary consistent scorer, which is weird saying compared to how it was at the end of the regular season, showing up basically every other or every third game. But he's really been the only constant. You know, they're going to be covering Jalen pretty hard, I think, in the next game. But that's going to leave everybody else open. And to me, that just says somebody who had a bad shooting game last game, Jason Tatum, will be poised for another breakout. Well, Tatum was nasty in game one, and Terry is averaging 23 in the playoffs. That's fair. I take it back. Marcus Morris is pretty lethal. Marcus Morris, Al Horford in game one was pretty nasty. I mean, we have so many scoring options. Which is very weird to say, right? Considering we haven't had that the entire year. (laughs) You know, it's it's, it's just been, we've, we've been saying, like, without Kyrie, there's no one to score. And it seems like maybe somehow we finally pieced that together for the time being, maybe. Maybe knowing Kyrie is definitely not coming back was what it took for people to really buckle down and buy into, I need to be a potential offensive mm-hmm. option. That absolutely could be true. I, I think that's honestly what has put Jalen in there because he's now the scorer. I mean, he's, he's the wing scorer that, that the Celtics need. And he's taken that role. And I think, honestly, he was told, you, you need to step up for this team. And he has. And Because you, you just see the aggressiveness that I don't think was there for most of the year. And I think the first time we really saw that was against Utah, that game that I, that I mentioned a couple minutes ago, where he hit that game winner. And he was really, he was pushing the envelope as far as his offense went. And I think that was the turning point. Because we've seen flashes of this over the course of his, his career, his two years in the NBA. and. We've known that he's capable of scoring, but it hasn't been really showcased to the level that it has been in this playoff series. Playoff Jalen. Who knew? I know. It's it's really awesome to see, and I really hope it's sustainable. I really hope he can keep this up, but if not, I mean, Tatum is a legit scorer and has been hitting from everywhere. I mean, his, his ability to score from anywhere on the court is, is really impressive and, and really can open up the, the floor for... Guys like Horford in the paint or from 15 feet away or Baines cutting to the basket or maybe outside with Marcus Morris, who's been somehow lighting it up from outside as well. I mean, just the, the range and everything that this team can contribute to the offense has been really impressive so far this playoffs. 
it's just it has to be sustainable and it has to stick around for the rest of the series which i think it should i mean the minutes aren't too bad it's not like anybody's being taxed more than anyone else we've got a a deep bench of young guys who are all contributing yeah even yabu actually managed to have a positive contribution in the last game Mm -hmm. though it did take semi out of the excuse me shemi out of the, the rotation for the game i think he played like a minute in that game it is, yeah, I think that's part of it, though. Part of how Stevens coaches is he he rotates to the point where maybe you don't see many minutes in a game, and the next game you'll see 25, 30 minutes for whatever reason. It's entirely... That's got to be a real pain in the ass to play. It, I think that's partially why it's so successful, because you game plan for a guy like Semi, and then Yabu comes out, and he's just this big dude that you're trying to figure out how to defend. And it's it's not like he's a really tough offensive threat, but you just don't know how to game plan for that because you don't expect to get 20 minutes out of Yabu. You don't expect to see 20 minutes from a guy that you, that you don't even watch any tape on because you didn't see him at all in game one. And He's a lot like Al Horford in terms of, of his ability to distribute the ball. I mean, he's a lot worse, obviously, but I mean, for what he's playing, what he's doing, I could see him developing into a, a poor man's Al Horford very yeah, easily. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to see that. Because I really love Yabu. The dancing bear, so great. <laughs> the, the like bow and arrow dabs after he hits a shot is everything that my life has needed. I didn't know that I needed that, but that's everything my life has needed. And I love it. I also love Semi. I, I'm a huge fan of those guys, the, the young rookies. Semi, I think, and I was saying to you, I was expecting a lot of time for Ojale this series because of how he defended against Antetokounmpo. And... I, I like what he's done, but obviously Brad is going a different direction. I was expecting to kind of see like a Gerald Green type situation where we might be down 0-2 and suddenly Semi would start at the 3 to guard Giannis or the 4 to guard Giannis or wherever we'd put him. But he'd be inserted into the lineup and kind of spark plug this team by just throwing off, one, the Bucks, and two, by just bringing a different look to our starting lineup that might create more chaos on offense. And I'm, I'm glad that we haven't had to resort to that. But even then, you know, I, I was expecting that because of how good he's been against the Bucks so far this season. And even in the playoffs. Yeah, he's been pretty consistent on defense. He's struggled a bit on offense, which might be the reason why he's not out there. Just because people know they don't need to guard him, at least other than that one game towards the end of the season where I think he had like nine points or something like that. He's basically been a non-factor on offense, which kind of, you know, Yabuselli is still kind of unknown. He can score a little bit. He's been scoring a bit more overall than Shemi was. But at this point, I think you're right. I think it's more more about getting all the guys some, some rotation time just to keep their confidence up and allow them to be kind of engaged and present should they actually be needed. Because basically, I don't want to use the I word after basically what we've been through for the last couple of months. But if someone does get hurt, then you, you need your guys. Like all of everyone on the team has to be ready to at least play some significant minutes. Well, so let's talk about Marcus Smart then, because that, that's the other side of this token. Marcus Smart, poised for return. He said he could be ready by the end of this series, game seven is I think what he said. If this doesn't go to Game 7, does that mean he's ready for Game 2 of the next series? Or what does that look like? He, he, I think Game 1, barring a real quick series in the other bracket, 
that we are facing that you mentioned earlier, Miami, Philadelphia, which that, there's no way that series is going less than six Yeah, games. how integral is he to a game against the Sixers or a series against the Sixers? Because that's a different kind of beast than the Bucks. I mean, they're, they're similar in a lot of ways, but, but the, the roles that you'd need defenders for is less in the... The front he won't be so crucial for an individual defender, but we will need him to defend. Maybe, maybe I could see him as a good matchup for Ben mm-hmm. Simmons. But more than anything, I think what, what Smart will be most useful for is probably not what his doctor wants him to be doing, which is diving for loose balls and trying to disrupt plays. Because playmaking is really what drives that team. You know, they pass a lot and shoot a lot. And... If we can get them out of their rhythm, that will be huge towards towards carrying a series against Philadelphia. Assuming yeah. we get Philadelphia, the same can can be said to a lesser extent for Miami. But like you, I don't think we're no, I, I don't think so. But I would like Marcus Smart against Dwayne Wade. I think that that would be a really it would favor the Celtics in a lot of ways. I, I think he'd be able to lock down Dwayne Wade really easily, in part because of his youth, in part because of how good he is on defense. But I just think that that'd be a really good matchup for us. As, as Some epic said. trash talk, if nothing else. Exactly. And I think he'd be able to get into the head of a lot of players, Dion Waiters. He'd be able to really mess with, with the Heat. Whereas I think the Sixers are a bit more disciplined, but also maybe because they've won 16 straight, losing a couple games to the Heat is going to really shake them. You know, I mean, it's it's strange to suddenly start losing when you've been on such a roll and being such a young team. They also don't have him beat back. He's, he's, he's still out. But they're going to have him back this series, right? I mean, he's supposed to come back. Yeah, They should, but his face evidently is not quite right. Uh, I haven't been real up on exactly what the problem with the holdup is, but he, he, he still hasn't played. You know, facial fractures usually heal pretty easily, but if there's any kind of a complication, then, you know, without him... Yeah, I mean, it's entirely contingent on how it goes. I'm sure that they could get him back in if they really wanted him. Yeah, and I guess it's not quite the same thing as, like, his his lower body, his extremity injuries, his back injuries that have really been mm-hmm. some of the biggest causes to keeping him out of games either and probably poses not much else besides pain in terms of what it would do to yeah. him long term. Well, that, that is something to look out for because he... I, what's interesting, and I, I've said this since... He's only had one good game against the Celtics, MB. Well, I mean, that is not it's it's kind of like leveling up with the Bucks, because you have kind of a, a Giannis like figure in Embiid, assuming he is back. And you have not just one, but several shooters. You know, you have kind of like the Middleton analog in, in uh Redick. But you also have Sarich and you know, the, the Roko, other players like that who, who can also shoot the ball. So you have a little bit more complexity in terms of coverage and spacing. So really, in that situation, you're going to need to have someone who's capable of slowing and beat down a bit as he slashes. Uh, you're not, you, and then really everybody else mostly eats from the perimeter. So you need you need solid perimeter defense and. Probably at the same rate, though Ben Simmons can't shoot. I mean, you you, you get him to try and I mean, you do what you're doing to Giannis right now, and that's going to stop Ben Simmons from being a threat at least to score. Obviously, his passing and his court vision are, I would say, unrivaled among rookies. But then you have 
J.J. Redick, who I think is a wild card as far as scoring and three-point shooting goes. I mean, he's been lethal in the playoffs for his entire career. J.J. Redick is, is a proven three-point threat. You can expect more. Exactly, yeah, too. and that that's yeah. going to be... I, I think Redick is going to be our toughest threat because he's he's a, to use your metaphor, a leveled-up Chris Middleton. And I, I don't think that his propensity to cool down to the level that Middleton has is going to be nearly as likely and it's gonna be a lot harder to bottle up because of i don't think you need to 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 double um ben simmons in quite the same way you would Embiid, but then you do have to in terms of uh, i'm screwing up my own metaphor you do have to the way that you cover Giannis fairly similarly though not as intensely with Embiid, but when it comes to Simmons, you can probably just put Marcus Smart on him and that'll be enough. Now, without Marcus Smart in the mix, I think we will have a very hard time keeping up with this team just because of that fact, because you're going to need to double Embiid. And if you have to double Simmons too, then that basically leaves the perimeter wide open, which is great when they're missing, but not when not like the first game against Miami, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think matchups will be the key to this that series, and it will start in the front court with how we focus the defense against Embiid, and then it will kind of go back, go to the back court. I think it will because that's the the major threat. I think is is figuring out rebounding and then stopping Embiid because every other series. You can't stop them all the time, but you got you got to stop yeah. the easy baskets. If you can stop the easy baskets and make them all try to shoot from the perimeter, except for Simmons, it'll be a lot easier to defend. So mostly, it's not stopping all the baskets, just the yeah. easy ones. I think I think it's a reasonable series, though. I mean, the season series we finished three and one against the Sixers, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the London game, being at least the most publicized, was we were trailing by like that was one of our bigger comebacks. And obviously all of these are, I think Kyrie was missing for two of them, maybe. So the, the first one right. isn't a good indication because we had like full strength lineup of what we're facing now. But, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be that much different. I think that our ability to, to lock up Embiid is the key because that's what we did for the first two games. The third game, he ran rampant. And that's why we got crushed in, in the garden because he scored like 30 something points was just destroying the Celtics inside, forcing the team to go in and then just to open up the floor for everybody else. So they just walked all over us that game. But I don't think that Brad would let that happen in a playoff series, at least not for the entire series. And he would find ways to, to slow him down or, or throw what he can at him, whether that's Yabu for whatever reason or just different matchups to really throw him off, off his rhythm. And then I think Baines and Horford should be able to bottle him up. Generally, I think that'd be the, where the double team would go is towards Embiid and then let Marcus kind of handle Simmons while you do the rest, assuming he's back. You know, I mean, he's targeting end of April and, you know, whenever the next series comes, whether that's because the Sixers and Heat go to six or go to seven or whatever their series goes to, that could change whether Marcus Smart is available for game one, which could then change the outcome of game one, because I think he's pretty integral to the, the, the Celtics pulling off a win in that series. 
I think he's going to be back by then. If he's not back before he even is supposed to be in terms of what his doctor has predicted, it would not at all surprise me if he's back. The initial prognosis was the earliest return would be the 27th. He's coming along pretty well, except for some swelling. So realistically, I would be utterly shocked and amazed, particularly with some other issues going on that we can talk about shortly. Yeah, and let's let's jump straight to that because part of that, part of his is okay. I guess straight. He's got to. He wants to come back, and part of that is because he just found out that his mom, Mrs. Marcus Smart, his mom has cancer, and he was back visiting her last week, I think, and found out that she has cancer. And she said she wanted him to go back to Boston so that she can watch him play, which obviously he has to be able to play in order to do so. But I would guess that his desire to get back onto the court is. Is monumental, you know, just to, to play for his mom, to, to you know, get out in the court. Is such a competitive guy. I, I can't imagine that he wants anything holding him back right now. From my understanding of the situation, is that he is very torn because he wants to do that for his mother. He wants to do that for his team, but he yeah. also wants to be there physically yeah. for his mother. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, it's it's really that would be really tough. I mean, I remember last season. Last playoffs, Isaiah, obviously, with his sister dying right before game one. I think it was the night before game one against the Bulls. And, you know, that he stayed for the game and he, and he played for his sister. He had her name written on his shoes. And then he went home during the break between game two and three. I think, did he miss game three? I don't think he did. Did he? I think he yeah, played he the did. entire series, but I, I could sure. be wrong on that. But he, you know, he went home between games, and and that's just got to be such a toll to then play to the level he was, and and to be trying to carry a team through a tough playoff series where you're down 0-2, and going through everything that he was. It's just it's it's got to be such a huge weight on a player's shoulders, and in this case, it's just you know a young guy and Marcus Smart who. You know, dealing with the adversity of a playoff series, but then the adversity of the emotional toll of his his mom, you know, getting this prognosis and his tough brother to cancer also. Yeah, so it's just it's a lot, and I, I can't imagine what he's going through. But you know, it's important for Celtics fans to keep that in mind uh, if he does decide to go home, or if he gets called back, if if something happens or something like that happens. I know Brad would support whatever he needs to do. Family is more important. No matter what anyone wants it is. to say, it's more important. It is. And, you know, I think that he, like I said, he's, he's integral to the, the team in the next series, presuming that we get there. But I would say that if, if he needs to go back, then he should. And, and he should, you know, get all that stuff figured out. People need to respect these players' personal lives. I mean, Greg Popovich just had his wife pass. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm really touched by the NBA community being able to put down petty stuff and really support players when they go through tough times like this. I hope the fans can also. Well, Greg Popovich is, is revered in, in the NBA. Absolutely. I mean, he's an icon for the entire association. And he, he won't be coaching game three against the Warriors. He's going to step aside for at least game three. I haven't seen whether he's going to step aside for the rest of the series. But, you know, I mean, that's just, that's an awful 
awful thing to happen to him. I, I like I said, I think he's just one of one of the greatest personalities in the game, one of the greatest coaches to have ever coached in the NBA, and just really just horrible, horrible scenario for him to be going through right now. And on top of the fact that you know his team is is fighting against one of the best teams in the NBA, one of the best teams of all time, arguably facing a very so uncertain it, future at that too. Yeah, so it's it's just it's really just a really awful situation. Obviously, I mean, like you said, the NBA community kind of coming together to support him, and at least here at Celtics Life, we obviously offer our thoughts and prayers to Popovich and his family and everything that they're going through. But yeah, you know, it's just tough. It's tough. these guys have, you know, we we think of them. And I was talking to one of my my family members about it the other night. These these guys, obviously, we we associate with them. We we love what they bring to the team, what they bring to the, the atmosphere, what they, what they bring to the franchise. And it's, it's tough when they have to step away. I mean, it, it's tough to know that they could make such a huge impact. I mean, I don't think that the Spurs will be able to win a game without Popovich. I mean, it's possible. They but might win I don't think, because of that, but I don't think they're going to win I hope the they series. do. I really hope they do. But, you know, I, I think that he's just such an important part of that team. And I know that San Antonio fans, some fans will be upset, but other fans will except that you know it's more important to be doing all this stuff to be going back to his family and, and to be you know mourning the loss of his his wife how could you expect anything else it, it's yeah so it's it's just it's tough and and Marcus smart going through you know that his his mother being diagnosed with cancer is just it's tough and you know finding out about it in this scenario is just is really crummy because it, it just it's it's a lot to handle for I think he's 23 years old. It's just a lot to handle for a 23-year-old. For anyone. So. Indeed. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So. A little bit of good news, though. Yeah. The, the, Terry <laughs> tough, Rosier. Tough segue, right? Terry Rosier. I mean, i got to flip the switch. Like a certain person. But anyways, uh, Terry Rosier and Kyrie Irving have been nominated uh, for Best Handle of the Year and Best Clutch Shot Yep. Yeah, Terry Rozier for that that game winning steal and layup at the end of that Pacers game early yeah. on. What was the clutch play for Kyrie? I didn't see that one. Um, you, actually, it's backwards. The, the handles are for Kyrie, and that was oh, who were they playing? Oh, oh that was uh, also the Pacers, right? Did no, he, like, it was the Bucks. It was the Bucks. Bucks in I want to say October. He just managed this little spin move where he somehow got between two defenders who were basically standing oh shoulder to yeah shoulder. and so yeah that was it bounced in like yeah four or five yeah minutes. i remember that i was thinking when he like brought darren collison down at like half court and just kind of dribbled around him yep. it was really that was a disgusting move too yeah you probably could have multiple multiple entries in there but I, they probably don't want to have anybody with more than one entry in there true i mean that's that's what we know Kyrie for right it's just his obscene handle and just, just the, the ability for him to do whatever the, whatever he wants with the ball dude's dude's nasty ball on a string yeah he's that's just i remember that commercial his like nike commercial where it was talking about his world and he had that kid do the stunt double and the kid was just doing crazy dribble moves <laughs> he did it himself that's like it's just unreal what he can do with the ball so that doesn't surprise me at all he's nominated for Best handles, and then that that shot by Terry Rozier, the the steal and shot by Terry Rozier was. I missed that shot because we were going to lose that game. 
I missed that. I, I promised my wife I would go to the movies and I was watching the damn game you know, on my phone in the box score in the movie theater. Oh, uh, that makes yeah, me so upset. <laughs> I, came, I, I came out of the movie theater. I promised her we would go see The Shape of Water. It was a great movie. Y'all should see it if you haven't had, already had a chance to. <laughs> but it wasn't, no offense, wife, if you'll hear this, uh, it wasn't worth skipping that. That was quite the end of a game. And my, my Twitter feed was just exploded with people ranting and raving about it. Yeah. I really regret missing. I'm pretty that. sure I was one of them. Playing. And I don't yeah, tweet all that much, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure I was one of them. I was freaking out. I was so excited about that. Yeah, that was a good game. That was. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the Pacers have had the Celtics number this year. I mean, we arguably should be one and three against them, but Terry stole that one. That was that was a that was a big move. That was absolutely clutch. That should be up there. Do you know what the other plays are? I don't have it up off the top of my head, but if people want to vote for them, then you just go with the hashtag. Let me make sure I get the hashtag right. Yeah, we should post this on Celtics Life. We should get this up so people know what to, what to look for. Oh, I actually did publish it earlier today. Cool. Well, then check Celtics Life for all this. this... <laughs> Good. This is some, some super, super compelling uh, podcasting right here. <laughs> We're tossing to the my website. Article. We're tossing to the website. It's important. You need to get the, the clicks and the reads. This is, it is. It this is. is why, why we have listeners. If you want to vote for Terry, what you need to do is hit hashtag clutch shot of the year and then his name. Terry Rosier, and any social media, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, we'll work on all of those. Uh, for for Kyrie, it would be hashtag handle of the year. All one word, obviously. It's how hashtags work for, for the older among us who might not understand that. Uh, plus, is sure. Kyrie Irving. Hey, we got some listeners who are up there in age and you know a little technologically challenged. Sure. Make sure they do it Good. right. All right. You can also vote on the NBA's website, which is just a www.nba.com right slash NBA awards, all one word, hashtag right slash. And any of those will work. You can vote for any of the guys you want. But hopefully, if you're listening to this, you'll be voting for Terry or Kyle. Good. On that, we'll talk about other Celtics in our latest edition of Is the Grass Greener with Milwaukee edition, Tyler Zeller and Jason Terry. Jet, what do you got? Well, for those who don't remember the segment or this is new to them, this is really just a comparison to see whether life is better as an ex-Boston Celtic or when they were a Boston Celtic most of the time. We change it up from time to time like we did with the Morris Twins. But in this case, facing off with the Bucks, you know, Zeller and Jet, they're now on the Milwaukee Bucks. And so, yeah, for Tyler... He's had a little bit of a a little bit of a, a rockier you know, taste of the yeah. journeyman life. Yeah. Uh, he after not being brought back to Boston after the 2016-17 season, he ended up signing with the Brooklyn Nets and he ended up getting dealt to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks this season. And in this comparison, I figured we would use the last year he was with Boston as it was by far his best with the Celtics. Now in that year, he had about 21 minutes per game, and he was playing. He was put, he was scoring about 10 10 points, 10.2 points per game, and almost six boards, 1.4 assists, and about half of a block per game. 
Now, I'm going to use his full season average, even though he's not doing quite as well. He's, he's, he's slightly better when he was with Brooklyn, just because they had more time. Just to be nice, you know, it's this season. He was away from the Celtics. We'll just look at it that way. Uh, he He's seen his playing time reduced to 16.8 minutes per game, but he's still scoring 6.7 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, uh, about half as many assists, 0.7 assists per game, and, again, about half of a block per game. When you look at the the state of the big man in the NBA now, particularly the non-three-point shooting slow-footed big man like Tyler is, I would actually have to say the grass might just be greener for him. Yeah, but also, I mean, did you see him after Middleton hit that game-tying three? I did not. He misses being a Celtic. He was not even a little excited about that. <laughs> there was there was like you, there was a shot of him behind. He just was sitting on the bench, just like I could care less. <laughs> he just did not care. So I, I think no, I think that right now he look he's looking over at the green side. He's like, man, that grass is greener over there. I like that grass. That was some good grass over there. <laughs> to keep that, that metaphor twist, going. All right, with that twist. I'll agree. It was close to a push, and I was falling on the side that he's still relevant in a in a league that's largely passed his kind of a player by. Sure, but the Zellers the Zellers are kind of a, a middling version of the current big men. Fair. Like they they can they can kind of stretch the floor. A I little mean, bit. they can shoot some long twos. Zeller's sure. got a Zeller's got a bit of a jumper. Yeah, he's got a bit of a jumper. Yeah, and Cody is probably better as far as that goes. Cody can shoot. Cody's great. Cody's not bad. Yeah. So I yeah no they I mean he he's isn't he's not like the uh, Andrew Bogut he's more on the line of the Al Horford he's in the middle of the two. All right, I'll I'll say the grass is is definitely greener in Boston. You convinced me. I'm sold. Yes, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, Jason Terry. I don't think you know I don't the tattoo that he got. When he joined the Celtics, I've been trying everywhere to figure out what the hell happened to that tattoo. For those of you who don't know, he got a Boston Celtics tattoo with Lucky the Leprechaun twirling the O'Brien trophy on the tip of his finger. Hmm. Which, of course, proved to not be very predictive. Where where did he where was it? I was on I don't remember which bicep it was, but it was on one of the two biceps on the inside, I remember. Okay. Well have you been like zooming in on game footage of his arms? I have not. <laughs> have you been doing actual investigating? <laughs> Though Jason Terry has been playing considerable minutes in this series, which is pretty freaking How crazy. How old is he? <laughs> he's the second or third oldest. I think only Vince Carter and like one other player is older than him. Dude is immortal. He just cannot stop playing. He found a fountain of youth forever ago. He is 40 years old. 40. Yeah. Based on a very quick Google search. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that he's still doing as well as he is considering he's 40 years old. His last stint with Boston was in 2012-13. He was traded with KG and Paul Pierce to the Nets, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And yep, that is right. Yeah, he's you know, obviously seeing less minutes than when he was 36 I mean, obviously, age has kind of let him fall by the wayside, but he's still contributing in a lot of ways, which is impressive. Yeah, he is. Okay, so when he was in Boston, he was playing almost 27 minutes per game, mm-hmm. about 10 points per game, two two boards, two two and a half assists, shot pretty effectively, uh, five two nine effective field goal percentage, and three seventy two from three. Now, keep in mind. 
this is a 40 year old man, man, you know, I mean, I'm 42. <laughs> so I, I know what it feels like when, you, when your body starts to age, you just, you just can't do the same yeah. shit anymore, but he's doing, doing enough where he's still logging 16 minutes per game. Uh, only 3.3 points per game, but I mean, he's playing almost half as much and still scoring roughly the same amount per minute. Um, not quite, but a little bit less. Uh, just under a board per game, 1.2 assists per game. Uh, his his field goal percentage is shot, effective field goal percentage is shot down to uh, 513, not too bad. And his three is uh, 348, which is a pretty significant dip. But I mean, you know, you just start to lose that springiness yeah. in your legs. And that, that really is going to affect, you know, you're going to front yeah. him a lot more three points. I think all things considered, the fact that he's playing while he's 40 is, is good enough to say that at this point, it's it's greener. At least it's a good situation that he's in. Can't complain. I would say he's as important, if not more important, to this Bucks team than he was to the Celtics. Yes, yeah, I think that's reasonable. All right. Anything else you want to add before we take off? Well, we're going to have tons and tons of playoff-oriented coverage over the next week to month, hopefully longer. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. And yeah, I am looking yeah, forward to me game too. three. I do want to talk about really quick the coaching situation, just everything that's going on. The uh, Hornets firing their coach, the Knicks going on a, on a coaching search. Seemingly, they're looking at every single one of the TNT Suns analysts yeah. in some scenarios. That's a dumb thing. And then, yeah, I just think that's something to look at and will be entertaining as the Brad Stevens coaching tree. Continues to grow. I wonder if anybody from, from the Celtics staff is going to find their way to, to one of those teams. But something to look at. If Walter McCarty does good in, in Evansville, yep. he just left us to go to Evansville. If he if he does well next year, I could see him being the name to go right back in the NBA pool, even after just a yeah, season. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Though he that's where he grew up, right? So he's like happy to be back. Oh, absolutely. But I, I mean, bet. if somebody yeah. offers you an NBA coaching job, I mean, I guess if it's your hometown team, you might say no, but I wouldn't. We'll tell that to uh, Coach K. Or not Coach K. Tell that to Calipari, who's been theoretically offered. I wish I could have gone back in jobs. time and tell it to Kevin Ollie because I love the dude, but he <laughs> fucked up my program. Anyway, let's not go down that route. <laughs> well, check out the links at the top of CelticsLife.com where we have a huge variety of shirts and hoodies in our store. And you can also, I believe, get tickets to that next game under the heading yes, if we do can. go to game five. If we do get there. Um, can you get tickets to away games on there? Oh, you can only I'm get trying. home. Only home games. Yeah, so if, if we do go to game five, right, there'll be a game five at home. I think there will be. Yeah, so if we do go there, then get tickets that. Or next round of the playoffs, game one and two should be right in Boston. They will be in Boston, yep. So you can get tickets there, and you can also find the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcaster apps. We'd really appreciate it if you subscribe. And also, if you like what you hear, we would love it if you give us five stars, as that helps us be seen by other basketball podcast listeners. And if you don't like something or you have a suggestion, we appreciate any and all feedback that you have, which you can let us know with the hashtag CLPod or with the comments on the article that was posted on on CelticsLife.com. Anything you want to add, man? Go Celtics. Go Celtics. Let's get out of here. Thanks, guys. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.